how do we leverage technology and AI to better reach those folks who are clearly bankable, but are choosing not to be in the banking system. You're having to share access to your consumer's information in order to use oftentimes these fintech solutions. And so that's, that's a delicate balance, right? Of you not wanting to have somebody else own your consumers. Hello, and thanks for joining us on Banking Remix, the new podcast from Veritran. I'm your host, Katie Janos-Small, the founder and editor of Upana, and this is the podcast where we look at the future of banking. We talk to leaders in digital finance about how traditional banking is being remixed, how it's being spun together with new technologies and concepts and data to create better customer experiences and more intuitive and integrated services. Today, I'm super excited to have the opportunity to speak to Nicole Elam. Nicole is president and CEO of the National Bankers Association. That's the premier trade association for the US's minority financial institutions. Nicole comes from a legal background. She worked as an attorney and in public policy and public affairs for a number of years before she joined the NBA as president in May this year. Before that, Nicole was a vice president and government relations manager at JP Morgan. There she managed national engagement strategies and she led efforts on the firm's commitment to invest $30 billion over five years to advance racial equality and drive inclusive economic growth. Nicole, it's such a pleasure to have you here on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Katie, for inviting me. It's certainly a pleasure to be here with you today. Nicole, to kick off, tell us a little about some of the initiatives that you are involved with at the moment. Uh, Some initiatives that we're involved in at the moment is really about helping to capitalize, modernize and strengthen our banks. You know, it's this is a great time to be at a minority bank uh, because so many of our banks are on the front end of closing the racial wealth gap. And there are so many people in corporate America, government, investors, funders who want to get engaged and involved in this. And so over the last 12 to 18 months, uh, since the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, we have been on the front lines of working with various partners to collaborate in ways that will do three things. Again, that will capitalize our banks, that will modernize our banks, and modernization, a key part of that is technology and to strengthen our banks. So it's been a it's been a great time to be here at the bank. Uh, we're also going to be launching a new nonprofit later this year. So a number of things that are exciting and in the works, uh, but key to all of that is a lot in the technology space. Interesting. Interesting. And to give us a bit of context or some of the a bit of a bit of your background, what are some of the the projects that you've been most proud to work on yourself uh, over the course of your career? You know, I've I've had the opportunity to work on uh, so many amazing projects during my career. Um, I started my career in civil rights, and so a couple that come to mind is working on congressional hearings related to Hurricane Katrina. Um, I worked on those hearings while I was at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Um, just a, a, a huge moment in time that it happened, uh, and so having the opportunity to work on those con- congressional hearings was was. Um, was really nice and a great opportunity. The second is the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act in 2006 um, while I was at the Black Leadership Forum. Um, And and what's interesting about that is that a number of the topics that we were talking about in 2006, a decade plus later, we're still talking about. And so that was the first time that I actually attended the signing of a bill by the president in the Rose Garden at the White House. So that was another um, unique project that I had the opportunity to work on that I'm, I'm very proud of. 
And then most recently, when I was at JPMorgan Chase, I worked on their $30 billion racial equity commitment. Um, I was actually on the government relations team, but I had the opportunity to work with a number of our national partners to really help shape the policy, um, the business decisions and commitments that we were making, as well as the philanthropic commitments that led to that big, bold $30 billion racial equity commitment. So a lot of great projects that I've had the opportunity to work on over the years. Wow, those are some pretty high-powered uh, projects that you've worked on. That's that's really impressive. Um, if we're looking at, at finance in particular, uh, as you mentioned earlier, it's been a momentous yeah. uh, twelve months or so. What um, what surprised you over the last year about about financial services and and you know the, the the banks in your association and how 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 digital finance has evolved. So when I when I look at the digital finance space, there's really a lot that surprised me. Um, one of the biggest things that surprised me is how difficult it is to plug into fintech, right? So fintech is supposed to be a solution that leads to efficiency um, and making complex problems easier, but implementation can be complex. And it's not always feasible for most banking institutions. Most banking institutions aren't these big organizations, big global institutions. Most of them are what's called your community banks, your small banks. So they have under a billion dollars in assets. The average size of our banks is about $250 million in assets. So it can be very difficult to to plug into fintech. Um, There are so many challenges when it comes to integrating fintech into your current technology, your current core providers, Um, the cybersecurity challenges when you're trying to connect um, one thing to the next. So it's not as as simple as maybe plugging an outlet into the wall as oftentimes they, they talk about fintech being easy. So how difficult sometimes it is to plug into is surprising. Another biggest challenge or thing that I've learned that's been surprising is sometimes how oversold and under-delivered solutions are, right? Fintechs are billed as innovative solutions to challenges, which they are. But the reality of it is going from a demo phase to reality where you're really implementing it in a banking environment isn't as easy as one would say. And so when you think you've got a solution, sometimes you don't have a solution. There's really no one solution that fits all because it's so complex. Um, When you think about, it's a banking environment, right? When you think about maybe somebody coming in and wanting to get a loan, the entire process, you want to use some type of fintech to make it efficient. But fintech really may not have the solution for the entire process. They may take on one part of it, but not the whole part from onboarding to getting the loan. And so that can be challenging. Um, I think the last thing that is is so surprising is that particularly now you see a lot of fintechs that are really focused on underserved markets. So how do you democratize banking in a way to where it's accessible to all? Um, And I think that's a great thing, right? Allowing banks to reach more people and operate at a larger scale is certainly a win in theory. But the reality is that sometimes you need technology that is for us by us, right? Technology that is created by the markets that you're trying to address and for the markets that you, you're trying to address. Because sometimes it's these simple things that they may be missing um, that makes a world of difference. So, you know, those are some of the things that have been most surprising to me that it's not as easy as one would think to plug into fintech and to get it to work with all of your technology. Sometimes it's not the solution that fixes everything, but it's one piece of a very large puzzle. And then the last, sometimes the fintechs, while they're marketed towards certain markets, haven't really taken those markets into consideration. 
That's really interesting. And how do you see some of the the members of your association working through some of those some of those issues? Uh, obviously, their their goal is to is to help their customers, and that if it's difficult to plug and play these these um, these fintech solutions, how do they how do they approach it? Do they um, go back to the drawing board? Do they? Yeah. I mean, how does it work? How do you see it playing out? Yeah, so I, I think a, a couple of, of things that I'm really noticing our, our banks are having to do. One thing is trying to get engaged early on in the process, right? So instead of fintechs being the one that says, oh, this is the solution that we have, working with them more in the accelerator phase where we develop the problem statement and we're going to you to develop the problem that fixes it. And what you're seeing now is that people think what they have is a solution to your problem, um, but they haven't heard it from you. So we're trying to get more engaged on the front end to where we're telling you what the problem is. Another thing that we're really trying to do a better job at is working with the regulators. Right. So regulators don't really understand and appreciate technology. They talk about it. They say that it's important. You know, they're, they're talking about this regulatory sandbox and fintechs. But technology costs money. Right. And that eats into your profit. And when it eats into your profit, that makes you a target by your regulators. And so really working with regulators on the front end so that they're understanding technology, they're understanding how we're utilizing technology to do more consumer lending, how we're using it for more targeted things in our in our um operating environment, just getting them to understand that so that the first time that they're seeing it in practice isn't actually when they're on at our bank doing an examination. You really have to engage them on the front end. You have to engage regulators on the front end who are the ones that are creating the rules and regulations for you to operate, and you need to engage fintech on the front end. So those are some things that that I see um, our institutions are doing to kind of address some of those things that have become very surprising to me. Right, so really just bringing the process forward a little, right? Starting a little earlier, not not assuming that this is a simple plug and play. Hey, we'll just press a button and we'll be we'll be away, kind of thing. Yeah, and I think the challenging thing is to get fintechs um, to think big picture, right? Because they're thinking about this one simple solution, but there's a larger ecosystem, right? How does your your solution fit into this larger ecosystem of banking, right? How does it not just fix this one issue, but how does it plug and play and speak to the entire process? Do you think that's a particular, I mean, I think perhaps, I don't know, putting this out there, that maybe the fintechs come along with this with this mentality of, say, the big banks, right? The JP yeah. Morgans of this world. And then when they have to adapt their solutions to, to these smaller banks that have smaller asset bases, smaller amounts of money to kind of throw, throw around on proofs of concept and technology and, and all the rest, that it's a different kind of, um, they have to adapt their vision a little as well, right? Yeah, they have to adapt their vision. And then they also have to adapt um, the resources that are available at small banks, right? So when you're thinking about larger institutions, you know, I, at my old bank, we had an entire floor of thousands of tech people, right? Like that's all they did. We had a cybersecurity center of excellence. Some of my banks don't even have a chief technology officer. So that becomes a challenge, not just when you're talking about um, what that particular product or fintech does, but it also becomes a huge challenge on the implementation phase, right? It takes a lot of manpower to actually implement this fintech solution. And so that's another big hurdle that, that we're oftentimes finding 
even once we get through big bank versus little bank and what the solution needs to be, then you get to the implementation phase. Like we need assistance to implement this because we don't have a big technology department, let alone sometimes a chief operating officer. What we have is a core provider and maybe a couple of technology vendors that we're using. I need you to figure out how to work with all those folks and not take all the capacity of my people. And so sometimes there'll be a solution and it takes three, four months. That's a lot of manpower, a lot of people who are probably already wearing multiple hats within a bank. Yeah, absolutely. And do you see that the banks, um, your member banks, I think a lot of the sell for for fintech, right, is that that you implement our solution, you save money in the long run. Do your banks see it that way? Yeah, I think the banks certainly see it that way, um, that it is an efficiency thing, but it's but it's an upfront cost that oftentimes our banks haven't always had. Um, you know, we're certainly in an environment when there is a lot more capital going to minority banks right now. Um, so that's a that's a plus, but it's an upfront cost um, as well, cost and people and cost and you know just dollars. To, to do that. And so the the challenge is, yes, we see it as efficiency, but there are so many other things that need to get in place, right? We need to build up and modernize our current infrastructure before we even begin to utilize your stuff. We need we need to expend, spend some money in order to reap the benefits of it. So this is not the case where we have folks saying, no, we don't believe that technology is, is an efficient way. Um, it's all the hurdles that you even need to address before you start to solve for that. Let's talk a little about the opportunities, because when you when you joined yeah. the NBA, you were quoted as saying that minority banks have an unprecedented opportunity to grow and level the economic playing field for minorities and women. You said that in yes. this transformational era, we want to expand access to capital to drive inclusive economic recovery and help member banks better leverage technology to achieve an economic multiplier effect. Can you expand on that a little bit? Can you tell me a little about the the opportunities that you see for banks to, to leverage technology to better serve minorities? Yeah, so I'll talk a little about it in terms of before and after, right? So before we were in this phase, um, minority banks were already at the center of wealth creation, right? When you think about what the key drivers are of wealth creation, it's about access to financial services. It's about home ownership. It's about operating a, a profitable small business. So businesses, black and brown uh, banks, rather, were already doing those things now, and they were doing it being undercapitalized. Now we're in a world where there's more capital that is being um, given to to minority-owned banks and that is focused on on, uh, black and brown communities to help close the wealth gap. Now we're at a place where we can do that on an even greater scale. Now, I wouldn't say that we can level the playing field, right? It's really hard to erase all the time that's happened in an unequal playing field, right? But what it does is it positions us to do more of what we were doing better. And imagine when you have the capital, imagine when you have the technology to reach more people outside of the demographic of the folks who can walk to your bank. So I can now use technology because I've got capital to reach more people. I can um, do loans more effectively and efficiently, right? So you can do more lending and you can be more creative in who you're reaching. Um, a, A concept that we've been talking a lot about within the association is this idea of the unbanked and underbanked. People are always talking about the unbanked and the underbanked. Well, the reality of it is, is that the unbanked and underbanked 
are actually a part of the financial system. They're just not choosing to go to a bank for a number of different reasons. So how do we leverage technology and AI to better reach those folks who are clearly bankable? Um, but are choosing not to be in the banking system. So I think it, it just provides an opportunity to do more of what we've been doing better and on a larger scale. Absolutely. And, you know, um, my focus area is Latin America. And in Latin America, we talk a lot about financial inclusion, the underbanked, the unbanked. Tell me about that in the United States. Like what what um, percent of the, of the population is, is unbanked or, or underbanked? Yeah, that's that's a great question, because when you think about the unbanked and underbanked population, oftentimes people are thinking about um, low income people. And it's more than just kind of low income people who are unbanked and underbanked. Right now, 49 percent of black households were unbanked and underbanked and only 15 percent of white households were unbanked and underbanked. But again, when people think about the unbanked and underbanked, they're they're thinking about just like people who may be low income. And that's not the case. There are a lot of people who are um, credit worthy who can who are bankable but are again choosing not to participate in the banking system but the statistics are staggering when you think about how many the percentage of people who are unbanked and underbanked the percentage of people who don't have a banking institution close to them Um, and even with the changing landscape of moving away from brick and mortar and moving more towards digital banking there is still a need to have banking institutions in communities so we talked about the opportunity. We talked a little about the the challenges of, of integrating fintechs and and of the you know how that works. But looking in the in the big picture for 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 the financial institutions that are part of the the NBA, what's the biggest what's their biggest what's mm-hmm. their biggest hurdle when it comes to adopting new technology um, or, or, or advancing technologically? Yeah, I think some of the some of the hurdles aside from the ones that we've already talked about in terms of of regulators and and the cost. Uh, an, another big hurdle, I think, is just people, right? People in the bank themselves. People are going to need lots of help embracing the new ways to get the job done, right? As we implement new technology, it's a new way to do banking. And so technology will continue to advance, but you're still going to need the people um, to provide the support and you still need some capacity building with people. So I think people is going to be a hurdle. Another hurdle I would say is just um, IT infrastructure, right? MDIs need the bandwidth, the computing power. Um, I've, I've already mentioned the money to get it done. So FinTech is here. It's here to stay. Um, but we need everything on the back end so that we can effectively serve our communities. I think a, a final thing that I would say what our MDIs are, are really in need of is just vetting these opportunities, right? There are a million fintechs out there that are all op- that are all saying that they're doing X, Y, and Z. And when you invest the people to do the demo and, and to integrate it, and then you find out it doesn't work, like that can be very disheartening when you're already operating on, you know, on smaller scale, right? And so um, partnering with folks who are experts, who don't have a product that they're trying to push, but partnering with experts who can help vet all of these all of these different fintechs and identify which ones do what and what might be best for your banking institution. What might be best for you if you are using this core provider, you already have these vendors, and you are looking to focus on small business lending or consumer lending or you know whatever it may be. Um, having people to actually vet 
the various fintechs is, I can't understate how important that is. And so we've actually been spending a lot of time at our innovation committee, building partnerships um, with other associations, with other nonprofits, really, that can provide those experts to vet it. That's interesting because we talk a lot about how it's a flourishing fintech ecosystem, but that that um that that brings up the dilemma of choice and not just, as you say, it's not just um you know what color shirt kind of a choice I should wear today. It's a it's a it's a very complex yeah. choice, um with a with a lot of factors in it. So that's an interesting initiative that you're sort of working with other associations to, um, to leverage the knowledge of of others in terms of what's going to work and what's um mm-hmm. what's going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. And really taking into consideration, as you mentioned before, um, the unique environment of our banks, right? They're smaller banks. They're not these large uh, institutions. So uh, the personnel is is certainly a big deal. So having those experts is important to vet these opportunities. Have you seen any, I mean, are there any partnerships or any um, digital solutions that you've seen that have really that have really worked among your member banks? Are there any examples that you could um, highlight in terms of, of digital innovation that you've seen working really well? Yeah, so we have a member bank, um, Harbor Bank, that is working with Google Pay to work on some things. So there's a lot of small things that are happening um, from a pilot perspective. So there's a lot of innovative things that are happening in the payment space um, and the uh, consumer lending space. We're working with a a partnership with with Upstart. So there are lots of pilots that are are working well. One thing, though, that that it has raised for us is when you're developing these partnerships, it brings up an interesting thing around consumer information, right? Because now you're having to share consumer data. And so you're having to share access to your consumer's information in order to use oftentimes these fintech solutions. And so that's that's a delicate balance, right? It's a delicate balance of, of you not wanting to have somebody else own your consumers, if you will. And so that's a, a challenge that has come up as we're thinking through a number of these partnerships um, and we're entering whether it's a, a pilot relationship or a business relationship. But they're certainly necessary. They're here to stay. Um, and we think that they're important and they're things that we're working to to address and prioritize. That sounds interesting. I think it's a really interesting point what you make about data, right? It's such a um, it's such an important um, resource mm-hmm. uh, and an important tool mm-hmm. that banks um, will be needing to leverage, and it gives them a competitive advantage, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Nicole, the theme of this podcast is is banking remix, right? Remixing the bank. So, if you were to remix banking, if you were to add in one element or or, or take something out. Um, to to prepare a bank better for the future, what would it be and, and why? Oh, wow. Um, if, if I were to add one thing, I think it would be IT infrastructure, right? I, I talked about this idea that MDIs don't have the IT infrastructure to take on some of these new technologies. They really need the bandwidth, the computing power, the money to get it done. And so that would probably be the one thing that I would say, right? To just the IT infrastructure needs to be at, at a different level. Um, to support a number of these quote unquote plug and play uh, solutions. And then if we're looking further into the future, you know, how do you see the next generation managing their money? What do you think that in, in 20 or 30 years time, the, um, the, the post millennial generation will be doing to, uh, um, to, 
how will they manage their finances? Will they will they will they do it on phones? I imagine they won't be going yeah. to branches. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, shoot, when we look at the past year, it's changed so much and it's evolved so much. Um, two things come to mind when I think about the next generation and how they're gonna manage wealth. The first thing that comes to, to mind is that we are in really a um this is a they were born into a technology ecosystem, this generation. So they were born with apps to help them with learning, to do all of these different things. So the way that they bank, shop, and live life is going to be completely different. And they they were born into this type of technology ecosystem. So digital innovation will continue to, to grow and evolve, but they will be in a much better position because this is all they know, right? So they'll have a better grasp on fintech and digital currencies because they were born into this. They came out of the womb. I think about my nephew, you know, at one years old, he was on an app working it. And it, it's just, it's crazy, but this is what they're, they're doing. So they will be, um, they will be banking very different. Um, another thing that that I think about the future is the wealth transfer, right? So before COVID happened, there was a big conversation happening about the largest wealth transfer was going to happen being passed from baby boomers to their children. About $68 trillion of generational wealth was going to be transferred. And so that's important because when I think about fintechs, there are a lot of fintechs that are really targeting at a younger and younger age. When you think about all these conversations around financial um, uh, education and financial wellness trainings, they used to only target the adult population. Now it's younger and younger and younger. These these Nickelodeon type apps that are focused on, on finances. So getting them um, prepared for uh, handling wealth I, I think is 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 something that we're seeing that is different. That's interesting. So um, they're not just being more digital at an earlier age, but they're also being financially digital at an earlier age, right? The the, the future generations. Mm. Yep, more and more financial savvy, and that's a that's a good thing when you think about again this the biggest wealth transfer that that we've seen is is going to be happening over the next twenty years. Um, are, they're going to be positioned to be well, to do well. And, and so we'll see, we'll see, you know, in 50 years, we'll see what the story is going to be told. But um, one thing's for sure is that it's going to look different. Banking is going to look different. Banking looks different today than it did a year ago. Even when we think about COVID and how COVID changed the financial landscape, right? And how it changed the way people did banking. Um, people that didn't have uh, online banking capabilities, all of a sudden had banking capabilities because you couldn't go into a branch. And so, COVID changed the way that we did banking. And so it's it's only going to change more and more and more. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite incredible, the pace of change, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it keeps evolving, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You, could, you could hardly keep up, right? When I think about... When I think about my phone, right, my, I probably don't even utilize 50% of the things, the capabilities that my phone can do. The same is true for my television or, or, or my remote control, right? I'm probably not even using 50% of the functionality. And, and that's actually a, a key thing that we're noticing too with these fintech solutions that we're not actually leveraging the fullest capability of these fintech solutions. They're constantly being updated. There's constantly new things, new features, new upgrades that you really have to stay on top of, which requires people and money to, to stay on top of these things. Yeah, absolutely. There is, um, there's so much to learn, right. And so much to, 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 to understand in terms of new features and new capacities as they, as they come on board. 
Nicole, um, look, thank you so much for your time. This has been a really uh, fascinating conversation. A pleasure speaking with you. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Banking Remix by Veritran. Be sure to subscribe to the series in Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud so you'll be the first to hear the next interview. Until then, keep up with the latest in digital finance on Vnext. That's Veritran's blog, where the team discusses news and trends in banking transformation. Don't miss it. Head over to veritran.com blog. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Banking Remix Insights.